0: In the wake of Me Too, Time's Up, and the growing list of public figures who have been called out for sexual assault and misconduct, it can seem like exciting, spontaneous, and satisfying sex is an unattainable ideal. That sex is too deeply buried beneath misinformation, violence, and shame to be enjoyed anymore. And yet, I know from personal experience that that is not true. Despite the odds, people are having great sex all the time, but they don't always get the chance to talk about it. Well, today, listeners, I'm here to change that. My name is Robin, and this is The Peak. This is my maiden voyage into the realm of podcasting, and I am thrilled to be interviewing my dear friend, Desria D'Alessandro. Desria, hello. (laughs) Hello! Yes, my name is Des,
1: and I think I'm a very interesting first candidate for this interview. Um, I'm a very queer-identified person, so my perspective on sex is um, not... Cisheteronormative, and I use words like (laughs) cisheteronormative.
0: For people who perhaps do not know what that means, will you give us a quick definition?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, the way we are oriented in this world is as if normal baseline is a cisgender way of being. So you're assigned a sex at birth, and then there's a corresponding gender socialization Um, and the, the, the normal quote unquote baseline is also to be straight. Um, so to be assigned female and a girl assigned male and a boy and to be together. And that's, there's nothing about that that is me or my life. Um, (laughs) so, and then the other aspect I think is that I'm a very kinky person. Um, I spent, uh, off and on, about three years being socialized into the kink community in Pittsburgh. And so that's, uh, much different than most Oklahomans, though I am from Oklahoma. I'm a dual citizen, 14 years in Norman, 15 years in Pittsburgh. Um, so I'm happy that I get to be, to set, set, set the tone. Yeah. So
0: you already sort of started talking about this. Um, but could you tell us about Your gender and how you identify.
1: Yeah, so I'm a two spirited person. I'm Indigenous and um, I was assigned female at birth and female socialized. But as I sort of grow into who I am, I am a much more, um, very much both and. I would say that bi gender is an accurate descriptor. Um, So when I think of myself, honestly, I am, so I'm into. Men and masculinity, and I think that sort of as I get older, I feel a little bit more like a gay boy than anything mm-hmm. else, um although I am not i I'm very queer, I like all different kinds of people and gender and bodies and so forth, but that's that's kind of where that stands
0: awesome um so something else you already sort of touched on was how you feel very queer and you feel very kinky um, are those the words you? ...would use to describe your sexual personality?
1: Um, so I think that kinky, yes. Um, uh... One thing I noticed prior to getting into kink... ...was that I preferred rougher sex than I could ever find. And I didn't... I didn't necessarily feel like... ...I wanted anything that was crazy. Um, or particularly out of the norm and that other people were just sort of boring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I and what I discovered is that getting into kink is that yeah, I'm pretty kink light. I am um in certain ways I'm very kinky but sexually not so much, but that your baseline elevates I feel like as you get into kink. So things like um hair pulling and biting um are just part of normal sex whereas I feel like people who um are socialized differently think of that as kinky so to me (laughs) that's not kinky behavior but maybe Mm. to your average Oklahoman sure whatever biting is kinky I don't know um queer though I feel like queer is um I have my own bad habits and I think that there are a lot of bad habits that come along with becoming complacent with that sort of, I referred to earlier, cis heteronormative socialization. So just the bad habits of what it means and what it looks like and the narrative for like boys and girls to get together. And so I feel like I fall into a lot of habits that go along with being a typical girl Mm
0: -hmm. and knowing
1: how to behave in those ways. And that it's an active endeavor for me to walk outside of that and be more queer in my sexual relationships rather than fall back onto, um, just sort of the way I was taught by fucking boys when I was, you know, 19.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, my next question is what kinds of protection do you usually use when you have sex, if any?
1: Yeah. So I've gotten a lot better about this as I've gotten older and it was because of getting involved in kink Mm -hmm. that I started to have Um, safer sex uh, because I just started to think about because I'm a very um, slutty person I will say (laughs) that I've had somewhere between 40 and 50 sexual partners of all sorts of genders Mm -hmm. and when you get up into those numbers it is a little bit wiser to use protection more than not <laughs> yes <definitely. laughs> um because you're not just exposing yourself to many different types of people you're exposing many different types of people to many different types of people and mm-hmm. so it's just in the best interest of people in terms of community to be practicing safe sex um and so um i would say that I mean, I have an IUD for one. I realize that's not protection, but I think that that kind of goes back to... I think it counts. It does. It's in that realm. And so that's one thing I did early on to sort of stave off any concerns um, as soon as I sort of, like... Because I am inclined towards unprotective sex with people with penises. uh, And so I was like, as long as I'm going to do that, I should probably make sure we are covered on that ground. Mm -hmm. Um. I, though, definitely, I mean, typically use condoms. Um, I am trying to bring dental dams back into style. <laughs> and part We're of
0: making it cool again, kids. Making
1: it cool again to use dental dams. And here's the biggest reason why I recently was diagnosed with HPV. Okay. And HPV is, I won't get too far into it, except for that it. Um, is extremely easily spread mm-hmm. and I want to continue being a relatively slutty person but now that I've this and that's the first STI I've ever contracted so even having had a very poorly protected sex life when I was 19 20 um I never got anything and then recently I got this diagnosis and I was like oh wow I need to up my game because this is not terrifying but it could be because HPV is, like, there's over a hundred strains, most of them are completely harmless, but the ones that aren't completely harmless can cause many different types of cancer. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I would rather um, use a dental dam and not be treated like I'm weird, or ask for someone to use a dental dam and not have them act like it's strange. Um, I have flavored dental dams. I have one that <laughs> tastes like Coke and one that tastes like strawberry, and I want someone to try them. So, yeah, I'm trying to get Dental dams back in style. Definitely a condom user. Um, I have had partners who prefer to use gloves. There's a partner that I had who had really bad eczema. And so he wanted to use gloves to keep the transfer uh, on his hands, Mm -hmm. to keep the transfer of my sexual fluids from his like open wounds. And that's not just like protection against STIs. That also hurts. So that like the Mm -hmm. stinging. So like that, that kind of protection. I've had... Multiple partners who use gloves for various things. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the sum of my protection game.
0: Cool. Um, so you use the word slutty as a self-identifier. Could you talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that comes from being involved in the kink community, where a lot of us self-identify as slutty people and to me it's a really non-stigmatized word. It's just a descriptor, meaning that I'm I have fucked many people. (laughs) I mean that's literally all you know, it's like saying the walls are purple. Like,
0: yep. For the record, uh, we are in Des's bedroom and the walls are purple. Yes, they are.
1: (laughs) It's just accurate to say and it's not it's there's no value attached to it. It's just what it is.
0: Solid. Okay. My next question. Do you use any props or toys in bed? What are your favorites? How do they compare to prop-free sex for you?
1: Um, I am not, I don't own many things. Um, I have, like, a butt plug that I don't use for my butt. It's too big. (laughs) Um, a one, like, vibrating dildo sort of toy and then, like, a small bullet vibrator. And, um... That's mostly just, that's not stuff I've ever really used with partners. Um, When I have had my, so my past two like big exes, they had a lot of toys. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big part of our sex lives, but it was their arsenal. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it was the stuff they had collected. And one of those people, um, he was, uh, or he is, he still is a trans man. So for Mm -hmm. him, toys had a lot to do with, um, sort of like supplementing how he wanted to engage in people sexually. So for Mm me, I enjoy using toys during sex. I think it's fun and exciting and can add different sorts of, um, especially when you're having sex with two people, uh, with vaginas or with someone who has a penis who doesn't necessarily do what the owner wishes it would do all the time Mm -hmm. um, that they can definitely be fun. And, or, you know, if you want to, I mean, if you like anal stretching, even if somebody has a a penis, that's not huge. It's not going to stretch you out. Like (laughs) things like that. So, um, I like toys, but they're not something that I've been invested in spending money on Mm -hmm. um that also comes from being pretty pleased with what can be done with bodies and not necessarily feeling compelled to go beyond it being totally open and willing and like familiar but not being terribly inspired of Mm -hmm. my own accord to do so it is worth noting that i do use protection with toys um, so putting condoms on toys, because you might not necessarily want to have something that's been up someone else's butt up yours, too. It's just best <laughs> practice to keep things clean, especially if you are slutty and sleeping with multiple people. Yes. It goes back to exposing many people to many things. It's just to keep things clean, use condoms on toys and things like that. I um, think that
0: is wise advice. Yeah. My next question is, how do you communicate with your partners about your desires and boundaries in bed?
1: So I think that this goes back to a lot of that kink socialization and how we are taught to negotiate scenes and how you just become very comfortable being very clear about what you do and do not want to happen and what you are and are not willing to do. And so I say things very plainly and I think when you're not used to having that type of open conversation, it can be awkward. But Mm -hmm. as you grow into it, I mean, it just becomes dirty talk like any other Mm -hmm. dirty talk. And you can get excited about having these conversations and being explicit. And um, I guess it takes a certain sort of like confidence and bravery to talk about it. And that just, I think, has come from getting older and having to have these kinds of conversations so many times. Yeah um i'm just able to say it out loud and other people get excited when it it helps your partners to be told upfront and straightforward what you like because everyone sort of <laughs> needs direction and i think yes. that when <laughs> When people who are aggressors or people who are tops or whatever it may be start to think that they don't need any guidance, I mean, I don't really want to sleep with a person like that anyway, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So are these conversations that you are having outside of the bedroom, outside of like active sexual engagement, or are these conversations happening kind of in the moment?
1: Both and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certain things that I'll voice beforehand explicitly, um, especially depending on if it is going to be a more a kinky encounter. Um, you know, like I don't like ball gags. Um, <laughs> here's the kind of choking I do and don't like. You have to be specific about that kind of behavior because mm-hmm. if you air choke me while we're having sex, I'm kind of going to panic and not be down. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that. But then. I'm also very communicative during sex about, like, actually, my body's not excited enough for us to do that thing. Um, mm-hmm. I might not say it like that, but I'll I'll be aware of that. I'll be like, ah, you know, I thought that I wanted, you know, to get into fisting, but maybe that's not what I want to do right now. So let's yeah. just... You know, let's pull back. Like, just chill out. Like, maybe I just want to come. Is we don't have to like make this into <laughs> a a bit a grand ordeal. You know, if uh, that's a lot of, I think communication for me comes down to energy because I am a very sleepy kind of person, mm-hmm. and so um things will start to escalate, and I'll be like, wow, I just need to go to sleep. I can't continue on with this. This is. Going much further than I intended. And so having to communicate, like, hey, mm-hmm. I don't mind if you just make me come now. Like, you don't have to do some sort of grand, amazing. Like, I enjoy intimacy. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily need some sort of hot, crazy scene. So. Yeah. So things in the middle because y- your body may change. You may be really excited about something and then you come once and you're too sleepy or like mm-hmm. your body's just not going to do that. Or you get a little anxious and you're like, actually, just let me do things now because I don't necessarily want to be touched that much. So it, mm-hmm. a lot of the conversation will come up in the middle of things, but I have a lot of self-awareness. So I'm able to do that. I'm able to pay attention to the things my body is saying Mm -hmm. to me so that I can communicate new boundaries as things are happening. And if someone reacts poorly or awkwardly, I mean, that's their problem. That's not my problem.
0: That is very true. And that was something I was actually thinking about while you were talking about like discovering in the moment, like, oh, wait, I thought I was like going to be into this experience and actually I'm too tired or I'm not aroused enough So I'm gonna like, like change the direction of where this experience was planning to go. Yep. Um. And I think that that is something that a lot of people struggle with. Like they just get really nervous or feel like, oh no, it's rude to change plans. Like, (laughs) like I'm gonna hurt their feelings or disappoint them. Um. Is that a feeling that you have dealt with or is it not? Like, and if it is, how have you like worked through that?
1: I think that definitely early on in my having sex and even, you know, it's, I've had a lot of sex. I didn't want to because I felt bad about Mm -hmm. changing my mind or about, um, talking about things that I wanted to do and Mm -hmm. then being like, oh, well, I guess I have to do them now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's like, all right, ride or die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I've done a lot of things that I, because I felt like I had to or out of obligation. And I think part of me becoming stronger and part of me healing those parts of myself is definitely just being willing to assert myself out of my own sense of Mm -hmm. self-care, out of caring for myself and saying literally this person's pleasure or what this this person's disappointment or whatever this other person wants or needs from this experience actually isn't more important than what I want or need from the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that doesn't make me a selfish lover and that in fact um, being willing to communicate what I need is um, a really important part of cultivating intimacy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it it's not about being selfish. It's about if I want to be sexually intimate with you, I also want to be able to be emotionally honest with you. Yeah. And so that honesty and that emotional awareness and the willingness to communicate, I mean, that's an act of care towards the person you're getting involved with as well, saying... I feel safe enough with you that I can actually assert what I actually need. And mm-hmm. as I get older, I find that the best partners I have are the ones who are like, "Oh, awesome." Like the ones who welcome that feedback. So, yeah. I try not to I still will apologize if I I stop something or I'll apologize if I change my mind mm-hmm. or something. And the I have been fortunate enough to choose people now who will be like, wow, you don't you don't have anything to be sorry for. Thank you for, you know, being willing to be honest. And so I think that um it's still an ongoing thing. I do still feel guilty, I mean, for saying no or for changing my mind. And I will still apologize and I um and just grateful that I typically am only close to people who are extremely understanding
0: now. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so, a minute ago, you started talking about your best partners. We are getting into the question I have been most excited to ask. <laughs> Please tell me about the best sex you ever had.
1: I And I thought about this, knowing that we were going to do this interview, I've kind of been thinking about this all day.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I was
1: like, so who and what and how? And, um... It's honestly a little bittersweet, I -hmm. think, and there's also different sort of like categories of
0: best. We we can talk about more than one experience.
1: Yeah, there's different. So, I mean, I think hands down, honestly, like the best sex I've ever had was with my first long term long term partner. Um, their name is Jordan, and gosh, they were so creative. And just like I'm a very bottomy submissive person, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that does have to do with confidence um i just in the moment i have a hard time calling any shots so i can i can play on scenarios and and whatever's given to me i'm an, i'm excellent at responding mm-hmm. but p- guiding the interaction and providing the context i just sort of am like i don't, I don't know what to do and mm-hmm. jordan was so creative and so brave and he would they would talk about these things outside of sex with me. We mm-hmm. would just be sort of chilling out, and they'd be like, "So do you have you thought about doing this? Like, is this something you're interested in?" Or I was thinking about this the other day, and so this was it was like a this was also the only person that I had a particularly um, long term ongoing sexual relationship with, mm-hmm. and I think mean, that's also part of why sex became so good with them is because they learned my body. We had all of these like outside of the bedroom opportunities to talk about fantasies and to talk about the, they were also, we both, we were non-monogamous. So we both Mm -hmm. also slept with other people. So I think that also brought a lot of creativity into what we did. And so it was just like always their ability to inspire and create and, um, ask And talk about what they were thinking about. Uh, I think that was what made sex with Jordan the absolute best. Um, Also, they're a very they were able to act like a very dominant person for me. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm into. So it was I was only ever if I felt the inspiration. I have to feel very, very safe to Mm -hmm. top um, because of that confidence. Sort of like I have to know the person I'm with very well so that I don't kind of freeze up. Yeah. Um. I know what they're into. I know what they might like. I don't like sort of um, have to doubt myself because I'm so confident with them. So every so often I would be inspired to be that way with Jordan. But um, they mostly they just called the shots and, <laughs> and I didn't have to think about much. And so that mm-hmm. was very helpful for me to not have to um overthink anything. I felt very close to them. I, you know, was taken care of inside and outside of our sexual relationship. And so that I could um really just turn my brain off and engage in the moment with them. Um we also that was my first partnership after becoming kinky too. Mm -hmm. So that was the very first time I was really able to start introducing um the things. He was my needle top. I'm very into it. That's a big part of my kink world is needles. And I don't typically um...
0: Like sewing needles?
1: Like medical needles? Gotcha. So yeah, like sewing needles, but almost more like piercing needles. They're going to be hollow, one-time-use needles. Okay. Yeah. And it's just put piercing through the top of your skin,
0: mm-hmm. m-
1: most likely. Um, and so, being able to... I rarely mix the two uh, because with my kinks, they push my body to a certain type of physical limit. I can't usually also incorporate sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Jordan, he would every so often incorporate that into our sex life. And mm-hmm. it, it that was exciting, you know, to be doing that. So That was cool. A lot of uh, rope bondage. That was the first relationship I ever really incorporated rope bondage into my sex life. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Temperature play. There was one time. (laughs) I I am an escape artist. uh, So if I'm tied up, odds are very good that I will escape the rope. Uh And Jordan knew this about me. And they tied me up to a chair and sat me in front of the air conditioner. I was naked. Uh-huh. sat me in front of the air conditioner while they showered, and the whole goal was that, like I couldn't escape, and because of the cold, my uh senses would be heightened, and then they would come back and you know do whatever with me in this sort of more vulnerable state and um naturally, while they were showering, I escaped the rope like what do they <laughs> what do they think I was gonna do, not that I didn't have to sit in front of the a c for quite some time before I was able to get out of the rope, but um you know, just things like that, and that was like fun. It was so, and that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that with another person. Uh, So that was why there was, there was so much, um, I had very, I had extremely intense emotions for Jordan. So it was also a very um, emotionally intense sex. So Mm -hmm. it was all sorts of. Perfect storm of things: these intense emotional connection, also a you know new exploratory relationship, and also uh, the f- a long term sexual relationship, all sort of coming together to make a very exciting and lovely sex life for
0: me. That sounds fantastic. It's
1: pretty <laughs> cool. It's pretty cool. But the other, um, the other best sex I've had was actually with my other former partner um Eddie. Mm-hmm. And the reason why Eddie stands out is because um we were not quite we didn't have as much chemistry as Jordan and I did and also Eddie had a lower sex drive overall. I think Jordan was the kind of person who we would just be like in the middle of the morning and all of a sudden I'd be pinned up against the dresser and he'd have my pants down. Whereas mm-hmm. Eddie never did anything like that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but Eddie introduced um, a lot of not specifically sex, but sexual intimacy. So a lot Mm -hmm. of touching Mm -hmm. and a lot of just being close and being like, yeah, I can touch you in these ways for a long period of time, but we're not going to bang Mm-hmm. And I think I, no one had ever really. There's always sort of like a, a narrative or an escalation that means this will lead to this will lead to this will lead to an orgasm, and mm-hmm. it was just sort of this this road. And I think that sort of goes back to some of that heteronormativity, is that there is a lot of that. You know, boys and girls kiss, and then we get to first base, and then second base, and then score, home run, home run, yes. yes. And <laughs> but with Eddie, um he, we didn't have that. There wasn't necessarily any prescribed way this experience was going to go. There was mm-hmm. definitely a lot of presence and a lot of sexual intimacy um, that I no one had ever showed me that, like, yeah, we can be intimate and sexual in these ways, but that doesn't mean we're going to mm-hmm. have, like, some sort of hot and heavy, like, fuck session.
0: Yeah. <laughs> can you tell me specifically, like, What kinds of sexual intimacy you guys shared that, like, wasn't necessarily sex? I think it was
1: just a lot of, um, a lot of touching. Mm -hmm. Like, you can just touch someone's vagina for a long time and the goal isn't to make them come. It's just Mm -hmm. to, like touch their body and to be mm-hmm. kind to their body and show care and it's very arousing and something i found interesting was that sometimes some of the most arousing things were also very relaxing yeah like to just have someone sort of like pet your clit for a while <laughs> is like okay i'm gonna go to sleep now <laughs> it's it was really interesting to see that but then he and i also had um a relatively kinky i mean we did we had a very kinky relationship um <laughs> it wasn't necessarily sexually kinky, but on occasion there was one time I remember um, he blindfolded me and he like put zip ties all over my body and it was a much sillier thing, but it was erotic because I was also topless mm-hmm. and the zip ties do cause pain. And, you know, in kink we draw that relationship between like pain and sexuality. And so the, the, I mean, that, it was very sexual, but, like, we weren't going to have sex. Like, he was just going to sort of uh, ar- arouse the, my body in these different ways and give me these different sensations to see what would happen, to see what my reactions were. And there was – I just – there's a picture of me. I can see it in my head because I have these star leggings on and this yellow bandana, and I'm, like, grinning. <laughs> With these zip ties around my arms and legs.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. It was it was hilarious. And he and I did a lot of that. A lot of our scenes did not end up being sex. They ended up being very sensation play based. So just like seeing what I can do to your body and what's going to happen. And a lot of being naked but not necessarily like being serious and like romantic. Um, but just sort of being, you know, sensual and intimate. and. What else did he do? I mean, he did Tie Me Up. There was a lot of that uh, Mm -hmm. rope bondage. But again, almost more like silly stuff, like tying me into silly poses, like things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the kind of stuff we did.
0: That sounds almost like being playful, sexy science, scientists. That, oh my god. Sexy scientists. If
1: Eddie knew that you just described him as a playful, sexy scientist, I think he would feel like- he would feel like goal achieved. He'd feel accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. actually, he was in a medical play. And oh. so, yes. So, some one of my nicknames for him was Dr. Pants. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we had this whole... One of my favorite scenes with Eddie was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, he was checking my vagina for vagina mites. What? <laughs> And I think he had a speculum, like, that you would use at at your gyno.
0: Like the duck lips. Yes, the duck lips. Oh, my God. And so
1: he was using the duck lips, and he was checking my vagina for vagina mites.
0: Was that hot? Yes! I mean, it
1: was hot. (laughs) It was hot because I do, like, stretching. I like fisting. Uh And so, like, having a speculum stretch me, I mean, yeah, it felt really good, but we definitely were not fucking, like... (laughs) He was definitely, he would make all of these, like, diagnoses. And I'd be like, did they teach you that in doctor school? <laughs> and it's just, He. there was one time he actually did, like, a, we did a public scene where he did that. And he was... Because we had rehearsed it. We had gone through that whole Dr. Pants checking Mm -hmm. me for vagina mites. And then we actually replicated it at a party. And so then, like, a whole bunch of people at a party got to see my cervix because...
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I totally blew that out. That was a... That was a... See, that was the That was the wailing and the squealing that I knew was going to happen at some point during this interview.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. Like a whole a whole room of people seeing my cervix and just the silliness, like that. I mean, he was, was being a silly doctor mm-hmm. and just sort of examining like, what'll happen if I do this? What'll happen if I do this? He had other medical tools, too.
0: Did he have a stethoscope?
1: Yeah, of course he had a
0: stethoscope. Well, naturally.
1: Naturally. What kind of doctor doesn't have a stethoscope? And so, yeah, you know, he would check me, you know, mm-hmm. he would listen to different parts of my body to make mm-hmm. sure my whatever was functioning correctly. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: That's cool.
1: It was. It that's was great.
0: That's hilarious. Dr. Pants. Dr. Pants. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. <laughs>
1: Um, See, I told you, I'm an interesting first interview. (laughs) You so
0: are, like, this is everything I hoped it would be, and so much more than I could have ever imagined. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about some of your early sexual experience? Um, Your first time, if so willing, or another significant early sexual experience?
1: My early sexual experiences were all fucking terrible. Oh.
0: <laughs> so, too many people's are. I know
1: it's so common. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very first time I had sex, um, there was this boy named Josh who I had had a crush on in high school. I went to church with him. Actually, mm-hmm. we went to a Baptist church together,
0: Oklahoma.
1: Yep. <laughs> We went to Baptist church together. And look at you now. And look at me now, talking about Dr. Pants and my needle top. (laughs) So we went went to church together. We went to high school together. I had a crush on him in high school. And he was a shit to me in high school, um, as most boys were. And then...
0: It was high school. They were boys. Mm -hmm.
1: And then it wasn't until, um, long story short, we had sex the, my very first night that I moved out for college. Mm -hmm. So I moved into the dorms at UCO. I was all like vulnerable and anxious. Keep in mind, I was sexually assaulted my senior year in high school. And so, and it was very untreated. No one, I didn't realize that had like everything that was going on until further into my freshman year in college. Um, I said senior year in high school, right? Yes. Okay. To help further in my freshman year in college, and so I'm very vulnerable, still effectively, like, have PTSD, and Mm -hmm. I, like, hey, Josh, like, come just blah 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 blah, and so we have sex, and actually the condom breaks. Oh, yikes. Yeah, and shithead boy doesn't offer to help pay for plan B, but I promptly go and get plan B. Um, And I think we had sex a couple more times, but it um, it was Mm -hmm. was stupid. And like I had said earlier on in the interview about having a lot of sex because I felt like I had to, Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of times the people I wanted to be flirted with, I wanted to be regarded as attractive, I wanted people to be nice to me, and I wanted to be wanted um, and I guess in exchange, I felt like I had to act like follow through with all of these things like you know, like if, and it was very transactional. It was like, if you're going to give me this emotional thing I want, then I'm going to give you this physical thing in response.
0: Yeah. I think that that is very common, um, among people who are socialized as girls. Mm-hmm. Um, not of course limited to. Right. But people who are at some point identifying as women, but, um, I think it tends to lean more towards AFABs.
1: Yep. I agree a hundred percent. And that's kind of when I go, you know, that, that language like cis heteronormativity, I think that's part of it. And I Mm -hmm. think that's part of why, I mean, even trans women, um, will find themselves falling into that way of behaving because they want to be validated as women. And yeah. so women are taught to behave in this way. And so if I want to be validated as a woman, then I have to act like this. So not even just like if you've been socialized as a girl, but if you want to be validated as a girl, whether you were assigned female or not, I mean, it is part you I think you're right. It's a huge part of femininity. And I think that um, is part of why there is such the sort of expectation for sex and the expectation of the transaction on the the male side of things Mm -hmm. um because that's how it's done it's what we do um and so i think that that was a lot of what i was doing when i wasn't when i was it probably wasn't until i got into the kink scene that i stopped and i started to sort of look at sex a different way and started being a lot more assertive about what i was actually willing to do um a lot easier to say no to things now um you know, I like blue balls is like a cute joke. It's like, "Oh, I'm sorry that you're experiencing discomfort. Um, I'm glad my body doesn't does doesn't do that, and it's not my job to solve that problem for you because I don't want to." <laughs> 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 so, I think yeah. that you know, my like I said earlier, my comfort is far more important than someone else's satisfaction. And if we can't have both, if I can't be both if if all parties are not comfortable, then I mean satisfaction is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Kind of goes back yeah. to enthusiastic consent. Um, if you're not excited about what's going on, if this is something that you've been guilted or pressured into, um at this point in my life, if if I'm not excited, if I feel guilted or pressured, then I'm really likely to be like, I, I actually no, never mind, nothing, stop. I don't, I don't know why I even let it get as far as it's gotten. I don't want any of this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something that I've found um, with some of my personal experiences and that I think is shared by a lot of people is like pushing myself to do things like Mm -hmm. that. My partner is not necessarily pressuring me to do, um, but like sort of doing that, like that thing that you described earlier where you're like, okay, I have expressed the desire to have sex or go down on you. So now I guess I, guess I, have, I have to put to my go money down where my on mouth. You. Is yeah. yeah. And um and like pay up uh with this experience. Um and
1: I definitely yeah. I had a really bad experience with that one time. Um To avoid awkward name issues, it was with Jordan and Eddie, the two I have already referred to. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I was already been dating Jordan and had started seeing Eddie and I invited Eddie to like, see us and hang out with us and Jordan and Eddie had been getting along and I had that day discussed with Jordan, like some fantasies, uh, Mm the three of us could go through with, And it was just talk. Mm -hmm. I was just telling him about stuff that was on my mind, but he like made it happen. And by like that night I was in a threesome situation and I definitely didn't really want to be in that. I was just talking. And Mm -hmm. so I, um, I went forward with, you know, some behavior that I really didn't feel comfortable with. And it's because I had talked about it just earlier that day about it as something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, My early sexual experiences, really, because there was so much of that, um, I guess I will if I have to, or, like, I feel obligated to do this.
0: Like, self-pressuring.
1: Self-pressuring. Um, it's something that's been very hard to grow out of, Mm -hmm. and you have to act, I, I have to actively, um stop myself and you know remind myself that no one is making me do this and Mm -hmm. the people that I'm close to now because I make better decisions now um they don't have this expectation for me to make myself do anything for them and that they would if they knew that that's what was going on in my brain they would be like oh does like no you you definitely didn't have to like we could just go to sleep or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, yeah, but that was – that characterized a lot. And I also – my earliest sexual experiences, I had terrible sexual health. Oh, my goodness. I It is by the grace of all things that I neither had any sort of pregnancy scare or any sort of serious, like, STI issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't think about those things. I just sort of assumed I was – Magically impervious. I don't know what I thought when I was 21. I can't remember. No. <laughs> oh, also lots of drunk sex. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that was a big part of... And I think that also goes back to that self-pressuring.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Sort of like... I wanted myself to do something that I didn't feel comfortable with. So I knew that if I just had a few shots, it would be fine. And... That's yeah. a t- atrocious habit and a very poor act of self-preservation. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in that early stage of your sexual experience, um, you didn't make, uh, like, condom use a habit?
1: Nope, not at all.
0: No. So, like, after that first one broke, you were like, ah, well, forget these things.
1: I think that was kind of, I think I kind of took the other person's lead. Mm-hmm. If they were going to use a condom, then we would use condoms. If they didn't automatically grab for one, I wasn't going to ask for one. Mm-hmm. Um, And I did, I think I did start, it, w- it was sort of like a pull out issue. It was sort of like a, I would inform them, I'm not on birth control, so don't come inside me. But mm-hmm. it was like a, uh, pulling out is not an actual method of birth control (laughs) you know like i just want to go back to that poor little child and be like this will not guarantee you won't get pregnant i know that you won't because i lived through this but uh um but it really was there you know i would tell people i wasn't on birth control but i did go off and on it in that time Mm -hmm. um so i wasn't always not on birth control but again even hormonal birth control is not a fail safe method um
0: i think um i was looking at the stats for different forms of birth control the other day and even if you're on the pill and taking it consistently you have an almost one in ten chance <laughs> yeah. of still getting pregnant um yeah which is terrifying yes <laughs> <laughs> um and awful and a good reason in my opinion to use multiple forms of protection yeah if you're afraid of getting
1: yeah. pregnant. Well, and that's why I have an IUD now. Yeah, so that I never have to worry about getting pregnant. And I tell people if I do get pregnant, it is a ectopic pregnancy and I have to address my problem and go to the doctor. So there's no it is life-threatening to get pregnant now. <laughs> really? Yeah, with an IUD, I can't get normal pregnant, literally, because uh, the copper makes your uterus a hostile environment and if it does attach, then it's um it would be a tubal pregnancy because it would be outside
0: oh. of your uterus. So, uh, I actually don't know very much about IUDs. Oh, um, so in like real, like real, real quick. quick and dirty, how do they work? Okay, what does it do?
1: <laughs> so there's different types. Um, there's hormonal and there's non-hormonal. Um, hormonal ones are both copper and uh. Hormonal. And mine is non-hormonal and it's just copper. Copper makes your uterus a hostile environment to semen. So basically it goes in and dies. Solid. Yeah, that's the gist of it. And if something swims out, it would be in your tubes. It would attach to your um, fallopian tube walls and that's an ectopic pregnancy mm-hmm. and that can happen or else you'll die.
0: Well... Yeah, sounds like, uh, sounds like you've got that covered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. It's, it's great.
0: That's cool. We're to my final question now. Okay. And that is, how does your best sexual experience compare to your first? And what have you learned in the time since you've been having sex? And you've sort of talked around this, but yeah. if you had to, like, make a final statement about it.
1: Yeah. Um... I think that consent is an ongoing process, mm-hmm. and initially with sex, I was bad about consent because I didn't didn't know a lot about it, mm-hmm. and I thought, like many people think, that if you say yes to an interaction, then you say yes to the entire interaction,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't really say no because that's rude. Like you Mm -hmm. don't change your mind because it's you don't want to disappoint them. You said yes. So like you have to follow through. Yeah. Um, and now I look at consent as an ongoing process throughout any given sexual interaction. And it is it becomes more of a dynamic in a relationship with another person. Mm -hmm. And you that other person um You have to give them the information they need about you in order to um, be aware of your needs. So I assert my needs to people. I consent actively for things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I take care of myself by making sure they understand um, if I've shut down, if I'm not talking. I may not be able to consent or not consent or tell you no, but you should probably back off. Like mm-hmm. like I, I I communicate about my emotional world mm-hmm. so that um whether or not I'm really interested or willing to be involved in an activity is a little bit more apparent even if I'm not able to explicitly say yes or no. So um consent I think is built into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um even if it's with a totally new person. Um you don't do some things with brand new people that you do with other – that you do with someone you've slept with multiple times. Yeah. Um, having that kind of standard for myself is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's sort of my final say is that my, my first sexual experiences had a very rudimentary and inadequate concept of consent. And as I get older, um, my ability to communicate my needs like as a person and the – boundaries I have for myself and what I'm able and willing to do with others at different times um, has evolved. So consent is also about Mm -hmm. self-awareness. One additional thing about my sexual relationship with Jordan is that, well, this, it was my best. Like I thought about talking about it all day. And for me, it was incredible. But for Jordan, They were completely dissatisfied, and it's because they never told me what they wanted and needed. It wasn't until the end of the relationship that I learned Mm -hmm. that I had had this awesome sexual relationship with this person that I loved very, very, very much. And, like, they were creative and brave and, like, met my needs really, really well, Um, but they never gave me the information that I needed about them to to do what they wanted. It wasn't until after the fact that I learned that they were deeply dissatisfied because I was not the kind of lover they were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I couldn't have possibly known because they just never told me.
0: Did Jordan tell you that? Um, at the end of the relationship?
1: Yeah. Uh, part of why our relationship ended was that they did start to express their needs more towards uh-huh. the end. Um but at that point, it was the sense of like, if I didn't figure it out, then I would lose the relationship. So there mm-hmm. was so much pressure for me to completely change my sexual behavior with this person in order to like save our relationship. That remember, I said that for me, like being toppy and being aggressive comes mm-hmm. from a place of confidence. Well, I was so terrified of screwing up because if I screwed up, then like they'd go away that I, I mean, I was never in the correct mindset to be the kind of lover that they needed. I mean, things were so broken that even they had started to communicate things, but we had other much larger problems. And that was just reflected in that like lack of communication for nearly a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Our communication was so broken that it, it, I didn't. It was like too little, too late. What, yeah. What they were able to ask for and what I was able to give. I mean, it was just part of why our relationship was bound to end.
0: Yeah. How did you handle slash respond to finding out about Jordan's unmet needs that they had failed to communicate to you?
1: So. Our relationship was ultimately increasingly emotionally abusive, and that was one of the many ways in which Jordan um, tried to make me feel like I was not good enough. Mm -hmm. There was a laundry list of things that were not good enough about me, Mm -hmm. and that I needed to improve, and that I needed to fix – and that was just one of many is like, why can't you just figure this out? Why can't you just do this? You see me do it all the time. So uh, how did I respond? <laughs> um, I felt inadequate all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I tried. There was one time we were actually at a public rope event and um, supposed to be a low pressure environment to learn how to tie And I remember having a panic attack while we were there because I knew how badly he needed this and I felt so inadequate. Mm. And that was a lot of the end of our relationship was how inadequate I was. And so, um, he, they didn't tell me until very much towards the end. And they also, Packaged it with, by the way, I was never very sexually attracted to you. Ooh. Yeah. And so it was so confusing for me in the end to have had this, like, extremely satisfying sexual relationship with someone who seemed to enjoy my body, (laughs) knew how to do things to it that I would love, um, treated it with care and kindness, Uh um, and then was like, but actually... Nothing about you is what I want. <laughs> it was like, wow, okay. So that really, that was really hard to. I just, I responded ultimately by like, I mean, I wasn't able to perform much because every time we had sex, I knew that. So it was, it, it was, I thought about telling you this all day and I didn't necessarily want to include these parts, but it is, I mean, it is part of, you know, They were the best lover that I ever had. And I still feel regretful that um, I was not the same for them. Because if they had just fucking mentioned things, you know, like maybe three months in instead of 10 months in. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's how that was.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with me. That was definitely a very vulnerable thing to be willing to include but I appreciate it because something that I'm really hoping to be able to do with this podcast is to get into like the nitty gritty of what makes relationships work and Mm -hmm. what works to their detriment Mm -hmm. um so I really appreciate you being willing to include that part of the conversation yeah no problem um and you have been a very generous guest with lots of very educational information for our listeners. But anyway, that was my last question. So I think that it is time to wrap things up. But thank you so much for being my very first guest. It was my
1: pleasure. The Peak. I'm so glad to imagine that most of your listeners will be Oklahomans and Texans who <laughs> haven't ever thought about the kink world and maybe they'll google it and change their lives <laughs>
0: yes yes one can only hope that what? people will do some googling while listening to this show and we'll learn things
1: okay fingers crossed thank you
0: yes thank you thanks for listening to the peak which is hosted and produced by me robin our theme music was written by johnny manchild of johnny manchild and the poor bastards you can follow us on facebook or at our website thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeakb If you have a question or comment about anything we talked about today, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, send me an email at thepeakpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.